Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That text that we just read has to do with the situation closing in on the last week or so of the life of Jesus on this earth before he was crucified and before he rose again. What had taken place was that, uh, as we read, that uh, there were some people called Greeks who had come to, to the Jerusalem at that time for the participation in the feast, feast of the Passover. It was a, it was a special one at this time. And they had approached Philip and asked Philip if they could see Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. And Philip found Andrew, and Andrew and Philip both then uh, went to Jesus and informed him of the fact that there were individuals from Greece that had come to see him. Now, when, when we talk about coming to see Jesus and them coming to see him, it wasn't just a matter of uh, them wanting to observe what he looked like or to see his uh, posture or to, to look at his uh, profile. They were actually wanting to see Jesus for a number of different reasons, probably. We don't know what these fellows were, were thinking of, but we do know that uh, during his lifetime, during the lifetime of Jesus, hundreds, probably even thousands of people came to see him. Now that's, that's a little bit overwhelming, at least to me, to think that he was, he was uh, moving among crowds. The Bible calls them multitudes most of his time when he started his public service, and that was at about age 30. And so for a period of about three and a half years, uh, Jesus was surrounded by multitudes who basically came to see him. Now, the foremost reason why people came to see Jesus initially was because he was known for his healing power. He was uh, an individual who could heal people of their maladies, their physical maladies, the people that were crippled, the people that were deaf, the folks that were blind, the folks that were diseased, the folks even brought, uh, he, he was able to uh, heal people who were dead, bring them back to life. But the, uh, the folks that came to see him were brought by caregivers. And the caregivers brought the people to see Jesus and actually cast them down at his feet, is what the Bible says. Matthew 15, verse 29 through 31. Cast them down at his feet. And as I view this and, and I, I look at the text, I'm thinking, this must have looked a lot like a disaster triage where they bring all the people that have been damaged somehow that have been uh, hurt during a during a natural disaster or during a wartime disaster people with their heads bandaged their arms bandaged with with crutches and people carrying them and bringing them down in sort of a triage so that they would gather them all around and then give them to Jesus to see if what he would do so it's, it's obvious that if, if he was healing people, 
that that would attract great crowds, great multitudes. Just think of the fact that sometimes when people get the idea that there's somewhere in some corner of the earth that can heal a particular disease, personally heal it, how many people flock to that individual? They're coming to see him, not just to see the individual, man or woman, but they're coming for the healing, for the process. So the Bible calls these crowds multitudes. And in Luke 16, 19, Luke 6, 19, uh, the Bible says that he healed them all. He healed every one of them. Now some people came not just for the healing, but there was another occasion. It found in the book of uh, John chapter 6, where Jesus had, while he was by the lake of Genesaret, he had fed 5,000 people with loaves and fishes. And when he passed over the lake to kind of avoid the crowds and, and, and get some space between him and them, that they came around the end of the sea instead of crossing the water. They came around and followed him. And Jesus mentioned it, and he, he doesn't, doesn't seem sarcastic about it. The, the text doesn't give us that indication, but it says, he said that they came for the bread, John six twenty six for the loaves. So some of them came wanting something to eat, a free meal, free lunch. Another reason some came to see Jesus was to see him perform a fiat, some sort of a miracle that would validate the fact that he was the Son of God or who he claimed to be. They were actually asking him for identification. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, do something like Moses. Moses, uh, of course, turned the water into blood. Moses brought the plagues upon Egypt. Moses parted the Red Sea. Moses did a number of things like that. And a number of miracles. And so when they came to Jesus, and this is found, for instance, uh, we, we, have, we have some texts in Matthew chapter 16, and verse 1, at least that mentions one of them, where they came to Jesus and demanded a sign of him. We want your credentials. We want to know. Show us who you are and show us that you are, maybe you're the prophet. Deuteronomy 16 or Deuteronomy 18. Or maybe you're, you're, uh, you're like Elijah. Maybe you're, you're Elijah. Maybe you're like Moses. But we want to, we want to see a sign. So they came uh, to uh, see if they can get his credentials and find out if he was who he said that he was. Others came to see Jesus to criticize him. And there was a great number of people that did that. And uh, they, they wanted to criticize the error, perhaps, that, he, had, that uh, he was doing something wrong. And so they wanted to sit in, in judgment and decide whether or not he was as he said he was. He was the, the uh, Son of God. And as a matter of fact, they thought, some of them said before, they said, uh, the whole world has gone after him. So they, they, they were excited about that in the sense that they did not like the idea that he was enjoying that type of popularity. So they came to criticize him. They came uh, to uh, see if he would follow the rituals that had been established by their forefathers. And uh, they, one of the rituals was that they had to go through a ritual washing before they ate, ate food that was taken from a common marketplace. 
and it was called the washing of hands, and they criticized Jesus because they said, you have transgressed the traditions of the elders because you didn't wash hands, didn't go through the ritual. Jesus said, by your tradition, you transgress the commandment of God. This is found in Matthew chapter 15, and uh, verse uh, beginning at verse 1, I think, and, and on through the context. Others came to him, criticizing him that uh, perhaps he was healing on the Sabbath day when he ought to be following the tradition that had been established by their teachers, by the, the uh, ancient ones. They had, a, they had an oral tradition. They, they decided what could be and could not be done on the Sabbath day when in fact all the Sabbath day did was to provide for them a day of rest when they could think about God and think about what God had done for them. So they, they, uh, they criticized him, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 through 14, for healing a man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath day. He, Jesus healed him. And so their criticism was they came to see him so that they could find a fault. They wanted to see what he would do in, in terms of the Sabbath. They criticized him because he ate with the publicans and sinners. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. This, this man received sinners and eats with them. They felt like Jesus was, was uh, hobnobbing or fraternizing with the lower levels of society that did not deserve his presence or did not deserve his attention. They, uh, they, they criticized the woman. Remember, Jesus, Jesus was in the house of a uh, leper, Simon the leper. And uh, in, in Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, he was there and the woman came and she bathed his feet with the tears and washed them with, you know, dried them with the hair of her head and anointed them with ointment. And they said, if you'd have known what type of woman this was, you would have not let her touch you. So they were critical of that. They were critical of, of uh, the fact that Jesus was uh, involved with those that were on the fringe of society. You shouldn't you shouldn't fraternize with these people. They challenged his authority even. When uh, Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem in that last week, when he was there, they challenged his authority and they said, uh, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. So what, are, what we're saying is, people came to see Jesus for several different reasons. For the miracles, for his credentials, to criticize him. And then there were those who came to hear what he was having, to, what he had to say. People that came to hear what Jesus was teaching. He was, pre he was preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And the multitudes, now it's hard to visualize this. We weren't there. Sometimes in Hollywood and sometimes through pictorial representation, we have, we have those who are showing us something about the crowds around Jesus, but, but the, the crowds must have been intense enough and thick enough that the text says that Jesus had to go up on a mountain to get up away from them far enough, separate enough, so that he could teach. And when that happened, had we been there, that they came, they came to hear him. Now, if they came to hear what he had to say, they'd have to be quiet. Now, if you know acoustics, you know this. 
There's anything about acoustics. If you're at the base of a mountain and talking up, you can be heard clearer than if you were at the top of the mountain talking down. Your voice goes up instead of down. So here Jesus was talking to the multitudes. He's on the mountain and he's talking down to them, which would, which would mean that they would have to be quiet and get their kids quiet, get everybody quietened down so they could hear what he had to say. Well, they came to hear. And the Sermon on the Mount is one illustration of this, beginning in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 through chapter 7, where he taught the Sermon on the Mount. All sorts of information is there. What, what, a, what a crowd that had to be that quietened down a multitude. Instead of the racket and noise that we would associate with a crowd, they had to be quiet. And Jesus talked, told them, talked to them. So they came for that experience. They came to hear what he had to say. They didn't come to a concert where the music was loud enough to burst their eardrums. They came to hear a man talk to them about the kingdom of God and to be quiet. On another occasion, Jesus in Luke chapter 5 verse 1 through 3 tells us that the crowd was so intense around him, he was by the seashore, that he had to step off into one of the little boats and cast away from the shore just a little bit so he could speak to the crowd. Well, that probably helped the acoustics because when you're on water, your, your voice and sound will carry across water easier than it will across dry land. But again, these people came to hear what the Master had to say. They wanted to hear what Jesus was talking about. And some came to see Jesus to adore him, to magnify him, to worship him. When he came into Jerusalem the last week before his death, the last few days, you recall he sent two of his disciples into, the, into Jerusalem to, to get a, a pack animal, a, a, a mule, or not a mule, but a donkey, and a foal, a small colt. And they were going to bring Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, sitting upon the colt, the foal of the ass. And it says that the people that crowded around him, in Luke chapter 19, 28 through 44, when the people crowded around him, they took their coats off and put it on the animals so that he didn't get any donkey hair on him, I suppose. They were considerate of it. They, they were glad that he was there. They came to see him and to worship him and adore him, and then they put the palm leaves down in front, and they threw all their coats down, all their cloaks, and let him and the animals cross over the coats, the garments, and the palm leaves as he came into town. So these people came to adore him. Now, we want to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus for several different reasons. We want to see Jesus. We, we do not live in the same proximity they lived in with him. So when we say we want to see Jesus, the, probably the first thing that comes into a person's mind is, well, I'll see him through the eye of faith. And what I want to tell you is, you do not need faith to see Jesus. You do not need to, see, to have faith to see him. People with and without faith can see Jesus. And the way you see him 
is through the documentation that we have called the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the, and the Gospels. This, these are historical records of Jesus. And, and just to understand this very plainly, when we want to look back in history at anything, we look back at credible documentation to see what was in the past. And so if you want to see Jesus, as I want to see Jesus, what we're going to have to do, and what we do is, we take the prism, we take the prism of chronological documents and look through those documents and we see Jesus. Now these are the most credible documents in the world. The the New Testament. And so we can, through that lens, we can look back through history and we can actually see Jesus. And you don't need faith to do it. You need to be able to read or to hear it read. You need to have access to these documents to see Jesus. And when you have access, you can see. Now, let me read a text. This is kind of a long text, but I want to read a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that uh, fortifies this particular point. Now, Paul is saying, he said, We speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But, he said, you haven't seen or heard, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us God, uh, to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, and one translation says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual words. So what we have is, He's saying, you didn't know this and didn't see this and couldn't see this before, but now we've received the Spirit of God and the Spirit has revealed these things because the Spirit knows everything, the deep things of God. And he said, he's going to reveal these. And he says, these things we speak. Two issues. One is, he says, we're not using wisdom of words. So he's not going to use complicated, convoluted sentences in order to get the information across. But he's going to speak plainly. And we're going to hear it. And we can see it. And through that, my friend, is how we take a look back through the long lane of history and we see Jesus. We can see Him. So let's go back and see Him. Let's take a, let's take a, a trip back and see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. So when we open the Gospel account, we're able to see the sort of man that Jesus is. We're back there now. The long lane of history has opened to us. Wide open the vistas there and we can see through the documents. The classical documents 
the record of Jesus. We have it. We do this from with everybody else and everything else in this world. It's always been done this way. If I want to know anything about Nero, the Caesar of Rome, I just look in the documents and I can find all, out all about him. That's the way we see Jesus. Now, John said in the book of First John 1, he said, Our eyes have seen and our hands have handled the word of life. And he said, these things we write unto you, talking about Jesus, he said, these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. What he's saying is, we're writing about him, we've seen him, we've handled him, and now we have the record. Now what you can do, you can see him too. Because we're writing these things to you. We've looked upon him, and now you can look upon him. So what do we see when we look back through history and we see Jesus? We see, first of all, we see a man with appealing traits. He appeals to us. A man who injected his times with the qualities that elevate humanity above the mundane, petty pursuits of pride and greed. We see a man who stood above all of that when we see Jesus. He appears on the pages of the gospel as a humble man among men. He often refers to himself, as a matter of fact, he always referred to himself in the third person, called himself the Son of Man. He describes himself in very lowly terms. He does not... He does not ascribe himself to any, any uh, status that did not belong to him or that belonged to his father. He said he came as a son, as an obedient son. And when we think about Jesus, when we go back to look at him, we see him. He's a humble man. As a matter of fact, the, the New Testament doesn't tell us anything about his physical characteristics, nothing. But Isaiah talks about him in these terms. He said uh, he had no form or comeliness that we should desire him. No beauty. Isaiah chapter 53 at verse 2. He doesn't have the beauty of a notorious individual or of a king or of a prince or of someone who's very prominent in society. He didn't have that appeal. You know, there's there's a word that uh, you may have heard at, at some time. And it's called, it's called unprepossessing. Unprepossessing. That's what Jesus was. Now that word does not mean ugly. What it means is it has no attraction. No attractiveness to it. So Jesus, as far as his mean was concerned, he was unprepossessing. That's what Isaiah said. He has no form or comeliness that we should desire him. Humble man. He appears as a man who was concerned with the well-being of others. We've already noted that. When people brought, the caregivers brought their sick and ailed, the ailing and, and those who were damaged physically and brought them and cast them down at Jesus' feet, Jesus healed them all. He was compassionate. He was moved with compassion in, in so many ordinary ways. We're, we're coming back and we're wanting to say, see Jesus and saying, what, what are you like, Lord? 
what sort of man are you? And we see him as a compassionate man. That if I had someone in my home, let's say I had a leper that was in my household, and that leper was separated from me because of the disease, and I decided I've got to get get some help, for, for this member of my family. Maybe it's a parent or a brother or a sibling, brother, sister, or uncle, or an aunt. I, I have to get some help. So now I'm going to take him to Jesus. Why? Because I know he cares. He's compassionate. He won't turn me away. He won't push me aside and say, I've got more important people I need to have something to do with. He, he's, he was there. And it wasn't just the the healing of the sick and and the infirm and and those who were uh, crippled, but it was uh, it was those that had been kind of shoved aside by society. And also, you know, there a couple of situations happened that are that are that are significant to me. When Jesus was teaching and the crowds were following him on two different occasions, and you can find them in Matthew fourteen and fifteen, Jesus stopped and fed 5,000 people. 5,000 people miraculously fed them. Loaves and fishes. His disciples were a little bit concerned about that. Why don't you send them back to town so they can get something to eat? So here was a man who knew that the people had come to hear what he had to say and they forgot to pack a lunch. And they were hungry. Not only had they forgotten to pack a lunch, they had been three days following Jesus without eating in chapter 15 of the book of Matthew. Three days. So they were hungry. You know, sometimes we talk about fasting. Fasting is is not something you do as a ritual. That's what they were trying to do as a ritual during Jesus' time. Fasting happens when you have something more important to do that you forget about eating. That's not, that's not as significant, the eating. So these people had forgotten. They weren't concerned about eating. They were concerned about hearing what Jesus had to say. They wanted to hear the words of the Master. And they followed Him for three Don't you think some of them would have said, Hey, look at the time. Of course, they had different kind of time, time devices. But look, look at the... It's time to eat. It's lunch. Who's got something to eat? Nothing was said. Nothing went on. Three days they followed Jesus and listened to what he had to say. And his disciples said, send them back. And Jesus said, I have compassion on them. I'll feed them. He had compassion. He was reasonable as well. If, you, if you're thinking about coming to Jesus, and you should be and seeing him, just, just remember this. He's, he's a reasonable man. He can be talked to. You can, you can discuss things with him. Uh, an, an instance happened to uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, and it's also recorded in Mark chapter 7, especially verse 24 through 30 in Mark chapter 7, where a woman who was called a Greek, she was from Syrophoenicia, came to Jesus and and, uh, inquired of him and said, my daughter 
is ill. She's, she's been, uh, she's possessed with the devil, and the devil is mistreating him. She said, have mercy upon me, Lord, because she was a caregiver. You know, caregivers have a hard ti- harder time than the person that's, that's ill. It's tough. And she couldn't take care of her daughter, and she said, have mercy upon me. And Jesus made a statement. He said, uh, he, he said he was sent only. He said I'm sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So that was his primary purpose when he came to this earth. He said, first of all, he had to go to Israel, the people that God had brought from the wilderness into the land of Canaan, and he had been taking care of them, so that through them the promise could be made to bless all nations. But when Jesus came, he came primarily to these people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now. This woman was not of the house of Israel. She was a Greek. She was a Greek. Came from Greece. Syrophoenicia. She was on the coast of Phoenicia. And she wanted Jesus to help. And he said, it's not meat. Now listen to what he said. It is not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Now that is jarring, isn't it? It's jarring until you understand what he's saying. He's not, he's not comparing her culture and her genetic background to dogs. You're not doing that at all. We sometimes say, well, I'm, I'm as hungry as a dog, or I'm, you're, you're as dirty as a dog. So we use it some, some, sometimes in a deprecation or deprecatory fashion. We're, we're saying the dog is not, is not clean, is not good. What he's saying is, it's not good to throw the children's food away. The dogs were the ancient garbage disposals of that day. That's all they were. Table scraps were shoved aside, and the dogs cleaned them up. If you lived on a farm when you were younger at some time, years ago, I should say, after the table was cleared, your mother would take the scraps and she would either give them to the chickens or to the hogs. Slop the hogs, they called it. Feed the chickens. They did not put their leftovers from the meal in a garbage can. Didn't do it. They let them go to the, on the ground. The chickens ate them. The hogs ate them. So it was all taken care of. Now what happened at that day and time was that the dogs came and cleaned everything up. So what Jesus is saying is, it's not right to throw away the children's food. Of course, if the, if, the, uh, if the children didn't eat it, didn't want it like some children can become, they're picky, I'm not going to eat this, then it would be thrown to the dogs. In other words, thrown into the garbage, thrown out, no leftovers. Jesus was telling this woman, basically, that it's not right for me to throw away what, what was supposed to be for the children, to just throw it away. And the woman said, Yea, Lord, but, but the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the table. She lowered herself. Jesus wasn't lowering her in his eyes. He wasn't saying culturally, you're only a dog. He wasn't saying that at all. He was saying it's not right to throw away the children's food. When you throw away the children's food, the dog eat it. The dogs eat it. Basically, you could be saying, it's not right to put the children's food down a garbage disposal. 
It's not right to put it in a garbage can. It's not right to let, let the uh, trash collectors come and get it. That, that wasn't what he was, he was saying. He was saying to her, it's not right to throw the food away. And so she made a rational argument to him. She said, but Lord, can't the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table? And he said, sure. And so he said, your faith has saved you, not saved you, but he said, your faith has, has uh, brought about what she wanted. She wanted her daughter to be healed. Okay, so he was reasonable. He could be reasoned with. And if we come to Jesus, is he reasonable with us? Well, I, I'm sure we can see that he was. If we want to see Jesus, maybe we want to see him for him to teach us something. Uh, in your lifetime, you have probably had someone, maybe it's a teacher, who's inspired you. And you thought greatly of that individual. You, you thought, well, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have taken this course in my life. But they, they paid special attention to me. And they helped me along. And it could have been a peer. It could have been just someone who reached down and, and took it, took a pity on us and said, okay, this person needs a little direction in life. And so as a teacher, they've helped us along. We would see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see him as a master teacher. He, he taught and teaches the principles that we don't get anywhere else. He teaches the principles of love and of sharing and of forgiving. We, we see those principles developed in his own character. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the lesson Jesus will teach us if we will sit at his feet. He will te teach us to forgive our debtors as God forgives us our debts. He will teach us to treat others with respect and dignity. So when we go back to look at Jesus and we say, I want to see him as a teacher, this is what he's going to teach us. He teaches us to honor our fellow citizens, irrespective of their station in life or their cultural differences. The gospel message that was sent out by Jesus puts all humanity on the same footing. The servant stands on the same ground as the master. The poor rubs elbows with the rich. The lowly sit in the same seats with the dignified and the high and mighty. Jesus said, he that is least will be the greatest, and he that is the greatest shall be the least. He's the great leveler of humanity so that we all stand together eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, face to face, hand to hand. We're all on the same level. And there are no differences, should be no differences. Paul said this was the gospel principle of the difference between the bond and the free, the man and the woman, the Jew and the Gentile, everybody on the same level. We're all on the same level. And Jesus breaks down the barriers that stand between cultures and societies. He's the teacher that does that. Long before the Greeks, or the English, or the French, or the Americans developed their concept of equality and justice for all, Jesus was already teaching it. All we have to do is go back and look. He teaches that 
that uh, from the very beginning. He teaches us that we should love and have love and mercy and fairness and compassion toward our fellow human beings. And the only way a person can put himself or herself into debt to someone else is by borrowing money or by creating something illegal, doing something illegal. And you know what Jesus said about that? He said, pay your debts. That was what he said. Now when he talks about people that have inequalities, legally, if you do something illegal to your neighbor, or if you do something, if you borrow something and you don't pay it back, Jesus said, pay up. That's the equality. That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. He says, if you don't, You'll probably go to jail for it. They'll probably put you in jail. When we look back and see Jesus, we see a generous man. A man who identifies with our problems. He wouldn't push us aside and say, well, you know what? You go, you go handle this yourself. You've got difficulties. It's your problem. It's not mine. Don't bother me with your troubles. Now, Jesus didn't say that and is not that type of person. He knows we have problems. And he knows that in order to get out of those problems, he came to seek and save that which is lost. He knows that we need to get out of our sin, and we need to repent. And he said, that he said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. So he said, get out of your sins. You need to quit what you've been doing that's wrong. Get out of your sins and, and do something better. And he offers to help us Get better. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. You shall find rest on your souls. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus said, I, I will help you with all the problems that you have. So when we go back and look at Jesus, we're going to find a man that cares about us and a man that will shoulder our problems along with us. You know, I, I think about this a lot. I, I, I preached I preach this some time ago. I, I can't remember just exactly when I did. But I was, I was preaching a, a sermon, and I used um, Psalms chapter 23 as my text. And oftentimes we come to Psalms 23 and think about it as a funeral dirge that we read that when people die. And we want, want individuals to know that when they die and they cross over, that Jesus will be with them. Now, I don't think that's what this is talking about. I think what Psalms 23 is talking about, Jesus, all right, when we go back and look at this, but I think, we're, I think it's talking about what Jesus does for us every day. That when we go back and see Jesus, He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna impress us so much that we could sing this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm walking with Him, basically. He's my shepherd. Why? He cares. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, he's taking care of me. He, uh, he, he uh, restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, 
and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I go back and look at Jesus through the prism of history, and I see him, I see him as someone who will walk with me now, daily. Walk with me, even though I pass through the shadow of death. The last thing I want to introduce to you basically is when you go back and look at Jesus, you're going to see someone who's more than a man. We're going to see a man who was God in the flesh. A man who towers above all humanity, not by his visage, not by his stature, but by the fact that he was God in the flesh. Jesus made that statement in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says, No man has seen God at any time, but the Son has declared Him, revealed Him. And when His disciples asked Him to show them the Father, He said, Have I been so long time with you you've not seen Me? The Father was in the Son. He is the Son. He's the, he's the Son that follows the Father's instructions. He is the Son of God, who descended into the bowels of this earth and stepped out again on the third day, conquering death for all of us. We see, when we go back to look at Jesus, I want to see Him. I want to see Him for what He was, who He was. I see Him as a wonderful teacher. I see Him as a humble man. I see Him as one who conquered death. I see Him as God in the flesh. It's good to want to see Jesus, as I mentioned to start with. You don't have to have faith to see Jesus. We're not asking you to see Him in your mind's eye. We're asking you to see Him on the pages of documented history. See Him as they project Him and show Him. See Jesus. Do you see Him as your teacher? Do you see the humble man He was? You see him as the one who stands above this world ethics. That he raises the morals and ethics of those who are around him. That he improves society. Is that how you see him? You see him as one who is compassionate towards you. But if you feel, if you forget your lunch, he'll give you lunch. He'll take care of you. He, he said, "Don't worry. Don't be concerned about what you wear and what you eat. I'll take care of you. Seek the first the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be added unto you." Well, what if I walk through the valley of death, Lord? Well, I walk with you. The shadow of the valley of death. I walk with you. And when you lay down beside still waters, I'll be there. When you wake up, I'm there. And when you when you crown me with life, what a wonderful experience that will be. You don't have to have faith to see Jesus. But when you see Jesus, He's going to change you. He will change you when you see Him.